Thanks for supporting Word. You've committed to ensuring this podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region has continued now into its fifth season. Word has grown as a direct result of your contributions to KJZZ. If you're already a member, thanks very much. If not, it's easy to become one by clicking on the Donate tab at kjzz.org. Please consider making a gift of $10, 20 maybe even $30 per month to help ensure this kind of programming reaches you and others. Whatever is in your budget is the right amount. Again, thanks very much. And now, on with Season 5. Word, I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the KJZZ Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this edition of Word, Nahai Raimo continues National Haiku Writing Month. And we're amidst KJZZ's third annual haiku writing contest as well. This year's theme, what's new for you during the pandemic? You can submit up to one original haiku per week at haiku.kjzz.org. On this episode, we'll catch up with organizers of this year's Arizona Matsuri, which is going virtual. Some of the artists who usually performed on the Taiko stage, the martial arts stage, as well as the Plaza main stage, have created brand new videos. Plus, we continue sampling some more haiku from Arizona poets. Inside the ant colony. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. But first... Diana Georgellis is a romance writer who grew up in Tucson and moved to the Valley after attending college on the East Coast over a decade ago. Within the last couple of years, she's gained a love for haiku that arose from a unique situation. So I went to a pie social in Margaret T. Hans Park, and they were doing this great community building event. And the idea was that you were supposed to go have a slice of pie and listen to some music and meet your neighbors. And so we're there and we're trying to decide if we should have apple pie or blueberry pie. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a table set up with three vintage typewriters. And I tell my sister, the pie must wait. We must go see what is going on over here. And so we walk up to the table and there's a big sign and it says free poems. And uh, we go up and we meet my now friend, Jake Friedman, who's a fabulous poet. And I ask him what's going on here. And he tells me that they're there doing community outreach and would I like for him to write me a poet? And I say, oh my gosh, absolutely. And he asked me, well, what should I write about? And I tell him that every year at Thanksgiving, my family and I, we go around the dinner table and we all say what we're grateful for. And so he writes me a fabulous poem. When Thanksgiving rolls around, I do exactly that. And my family is really touched by the fact that I have done this for them. And I think to myself, I love this experience. I want to recreate it. And I say to myself, oh my God, thank goodness I can do this. So I put out a call on my social media to my friends and family. And I told them, hey, anybody who wants, I'm happy to write you a poem about something you are passionate about. And there's only one requirement that we have a 15 to 20 minute conversation on the phone. And it was really nice because in this digital age, when I'm much more likely to text or email, I actually had an opportunity to talk with people and I got to learn new things about my friends. And so I ended up using my haiku as a way to create greater personal connection. 
I think there's nothing like haiku that can really get people into the appreciation of poetry, maybe more than other forms because it is so short. It's often the very first form that people learn when they learn poetry. There are all kinds of different style of haiku. Some people like to rhyme. Some people like to name them. Some people say absolutely not haiku or not named. Some people say it's 575 and that's it. Others say no, it's not. Uh, Where do you fall in terms of syllable count, for instance? I enjoy the three line, five syllable, seven syllable, five syllable structure. When I first started, I used to write about uh, nature and my emotional response to nature because that's very traditional haiku. But as I've evolved, I've decided to take some poetic license so that I can write about a greater uh, variety of topics. This is National Haiku Writing Month, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking to folks who like haiku. It's the shortest form. And the month of February was chosen by poet Michael Dillon Welch because it's the shortest month of the year. What do you like that's different about haiku versus longer form writing? I especially like the haiku because you have to be so focused in your message, right? You only have three lines and a certain number of syllables. And what I try and do with my haiku is I try to share a universal truth, a universal experience, because when I want someone to read it, I want them to say, I either relate to that experience or I know somebody who can. And I think um, when you have to be that focused, it, it gives you the ability to do so. I wonder if you would treat this as a reading room and close out with a couple of haiku of your own. I would love to share two poems. Um, Like I said, I wrote these for my friends. So the first one I wrote, um, my friend, she's a real out-of-the-box thinker who doesn't do things like everyone else exactly. Um, I titled this Unconstrained, and it goes like this. Unconstrained by rules, coloring outside the lines. That is what I do. And then I wrote the second poem for another friend of mine. He's a real hard-charging New Yorker who's always juggling a million things. But what I really admire about him is he's always stopping to enjoy quiet moments throughout the day, a good cup of coffee, um, checking the stats of his favorite baseball team, connecting (laughs) with a friend. (laughs) And so this one is called Stillness. Happiness is what? The stillness that I long for inside the chaos. You know, that first poem that you read there, to me, we've really been kind of constrained by the rules. We have learned, though, how to color outside the lines. It seems like the rule of the day are things like Zoom and teleconferencing. You said you wrote that for a friend. Is there a little more you can give us on that particular haiku? She's one of these very creative thinkers. And for example, like with her closet, like my closet is organized in such a way that I have all my short sleeve shirts together, my long sleeve shirts together, and my pants together and my dresses together. And it's very form driven. And her closet is organized by color. <laughs> so she's got all of her red clothes together and her blue clothes together and her <laughs> green clothes together. And she, again, is not constrained by how someone else would do something. And I think that it is such a wonderful thing when people aren't constrained. Like, I think you need to know the rules to break the rules. Like if you look at E.E. E. Cummings or someone like that. Oh, sure. And he, he's a master, but you know, he knows the rules to break them. And so I think in this year, especially like you mentioned, we have to be more adaptable and say, 
okay, what is going to work in this set of circumstance, in this environment? And I believe, especially when it comes to the writing process, but all processes, you have to find something that works for you because we're all unique individuals and we can be our best selves if we let ourselves be ourselves. And that might be one benefit that we have learned from this last near year of quarantining, socially distancing, not going to our favorite restaurants and hangouts and that kind of thing. But we still have each other in one way or another. And it's forms like this, like this podcast that keep us connected. Diana, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word. And I appreciate you sharing your work with us. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I had so much fun. And thank you. You can find out more about Diana Georgellis on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Axedon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You rely on KJZZ. I like to hear what's going on in the rest of the world to understand what's going on in my world. The governor argues students have already missed a lot of learning and schools should stay open with appropriate precautions. It's very important that the federal government partner not only with getting vaccines to the states, but with helping states administer the vaccine. You can trust KJZZ for the perfect mix of BBC, NPR, and KJZZ News. KJZZ Spot 127 Youth Media Center is a qualifying charitable tax organization, which means that your contribution is eligible for a dollar-for-dollar credit on your Arizona taxes. Visit taxcredit.spot127.org today and support our award-winning students. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. It's National Haiku Writing Month, of course, and we are looking for you to be part of KJZZ's third annual haiku writing contest by submitting up to one original haiku per week. The theme this year is, what's new for you during the pandemic? Find out more info on how to submit at our website. We'll select a random winner who will receive a KJZZ prize pack. Meanwhile, longtime Arizonans know about the Matsuri Festival in Phoenix. The last seven years, the festival has sponsored a haiku running contest of its own. I caught up with Lindsay Hoffman and Colton Boothman, who are part of the steering committee. Lindsay was in charge of this year's haiku judging, and Colton also helped judge those which were submitted in the Japanese language. I began our conversation by asking Lindsay, what's new for Matsuri this year? Lots of things are new this year. We've taken our festival completely virtual this year in hopes of making sure that we can still keep that community connection, still keep the the festival alive through this year, even though um, we can't meet in person. So there's been a lot that we've been working on on the steering committee to update our website, to put, you know, more effort into social media. We have a YouTube channel now. So it's been a lot different. Absolutely. I can completely understand. And Lindsay, briefly, what's your role with Matsuri? On the Matsuri steering committee, I am actually the secretary, um, but we've actually formed subcommittees this year. And I participate in several of those, including the technology subcommittee, which we've needed more now than ever. And I'm also the head of the haiku competition. I took that over from John Sanchin uh, last year. Okay. Yeah. John was a guest on one of our very first shows. This is our fifth season and we kicked off with National Haiku Writing Month three years ago. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is about 
the fact that Arizona Matsuri has had its own haiku writing contest. We've been doing one at KJZZ now for three years. Is there anything in particular, apart from the fact, of course, that these won't be on display for the public to go and personally view at the Matsuri, what are some of the differences this year with the contest? We're hoping, and since we don't have the um, display, as you said, as we have, we've had like a whole booth um, in years past, we're hoping to replicate that same experience by posting some of the winning haiku um, through social media, even recording some of the judges, Colton, myself, and Emma, uh, recording some of the haikus ourselves, and then adding those videos to our social media, even maybe to the live stream that Matsuri would be doing. We're still trying to, to keep the celebration alive with it. Right. I love that idea, though, of doing recordings because it's so nice to actually hear poetry performed. I mean, I know a lot of us miss it being out and about in the cafes and celebrating with people who read live poetry. Colton, what is your window into the Matsuri? So Lindsay and I uh, play taiko, the Japanese drum, together. Um, I've been playing for most of my life. Um, Gosh, I think this is my 17th year. That's how Lindsay and I know each other. That's how we know our other judge, Emma. Um, Of course, taiko has quite a presence at the Matsuri Festival. Ever since its conception, it's just, you know, a big draw for people. You hear those huge banging drums. And um, I think that's how we each started. I've been a performer in the festival for many years then and when Lindsay took this over last year she asked if I'd like to help judge these haiku and I studied Japanese in college I'm part Japanese so um, I, I mainly help out with the Japanese language submissions. Do you think that there is something maybe that you could describe that is a connection between the art of writing haiku and the act of performing taiko? Well, I think both involve, I mean, as any art truly should, I think they both involve a certain vulnerability. Um, I think performing in front of anyone with anything um, requires you to just kind of bury yourself. I think the truly good haiku submissions that we receive are very similar. They're very, I mean, of course, just the nature of haiku, they are very succinct, but you manage to express quite a bit in some of the submissions we've gotten. We, we definitely feel that, especially this year. Some of them are very um, related to the pandemic. And so clearly very personal to some people. Sure. I'm curious, Lindsay, did you receive any haiku that seemed as if, I don't know, when you were reading it, you could almost hear music? I mean, that's kind of speculative on my part, but I read haiku that have made me think of music. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the specific adjectives that they choose, you know, that we have the twinkling words and and things like that that resonate. And that's kind of how it's hard to judge because this isn't the type of thing where you judge them as like on a rubric, you know, it's so subjective and and it really is those haiku that uh, that sing to us. Those are the ones that end up coming to the top above the others more so. So that's absolutely an element of it. There are people that swear by the 575 rule as far as syllable counts go. And then there are many other people that say, look, in Japanese, that's just not the case. In fact, 575 could almost be too haiku. Colton, where do you fall on that thought? 
as you said, of course, it's not quite a, the hard and fast rule in Japanese that I think it usually is seen in English. I'm certainly a little more flexible as far as that goes. But that being said, you know, sometimes we do receive submissions where clearly there was no thought at all um, toward the number of syllables. Some right. lines will have like 20 syllables. And, you know, of course, I, to me, that's not quite a haiku, but, you know, I'm certainly more flexible as far as that goes. Well, and I would imagine as well, Lindsay, you've read some that feel like they're really forced, like all people are trying to do is really just hit that syllable count, right? Right. There is a subtlety in a well-written haiku that, um, and I think this is true of all writing um, as well. I'm an English teacher, so this is the type of thing I tend to get passionate about, that form can't really be the only thing that influences the writing. There's a difference between I'm writing this to fit the form of a haiku and something that takes a bigger shape beyond just that that form of a haiku. Um, and again, sometimes that does mean that there's a little bit of give and take in the syllables, even in the English version of haiku, you know, for something to be truly beautiful. It doesn't always fit the mold exactly. One thing that uh, is kind of created, if you will, is a mold, and that's an electronic book of haiku going back to 2015, I believe. And I'm assuming you're going to repeat that again this year with the 2021 uh, submissions and winners. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We already have all our folks, our volunteers in order to, I just made contact with uh, our ebook publisher. So we are good to go for that. Colton, was there anything particularly surprising about some of the Japanese haiku that you received, something maybe that you haven't seen in the past, for instance? I know you talked about the pandemic and how that was maybe a reoccurring theme for many, but what about something that might have been very surprising? There's one in particular that stands out to me, along with the submission, kind of this person submitted kind of the backstory to this. So the haiku itself kind of tells this story, this this person every day for the last year has taken a picture of the sunrise from inside her home um, through the window. And so the haiku is kind of about that, but of course it takes on a new meaning in a pandemic. Um, She sends these pictures to her family each day. And that's just kind of her way of letting them know that she's still safe. She's still okay. But there's almost something tragic about even in the haiku, the last line is Ie no naka, which is inside my home that's been our lives this last year. So to have something that's so simple, a line like that inside my home takes on such a completely different meaning this year for, I think, all of us. And so seeing how people are able to express that through this particular form of writing um, has been surprising to me. And also, it seems like there's an irony there, right? Because despite that, and despite that discomfort, the sun also rises. Absolutely. Each day. It's, it's, it's hopeful, which, you know, there's this breadth of, of emotion. And it's just so interesting that a haiku, something so short can convey that. Lindsay, so what other things will be going on in this virtual Matsuri this year? Uh, We have several different methods of trying to get our content out to the folks who usually attend Matsuri in person. The first will be a live stream on both our Facebook and our YouTube page that we have set up. 
a catalog of videos. Some of them are brand new submissions. So some of the artists who usually performed on the Tycho stage, the martial arts stage, as well as the uh, Plaza main stage um, have created brand new videos and we're going to live stream those in kind of an order that you would um we think you would enjoy to watch them in. Um, but we'll also have our YouTube channel open. All of these videos will be on the YouTube channel as well. So if if you miss parts of the live stream and, you know, you're kind of bummed that you, oh, I missed, you know, this Taiko performance. I wanted to see that. Everything will also be in a different playlist on our YouTube channel as well. So you can actually go back and see all of those same videos on your own time. Cool. Uh, so hopefully that will, that will suit you know, all the different audiences. Right. I think the thing that would be most difficult, though, I know for me personally, as a person who loves Japanese food, I, I guess maybe the recommendation would be get your Japanese food and, and watch online yeah. this year because we can't attend in person. So, yes. And I think they just posted on the website. Here are local Japanese restaurants for anyone who's looking to do just that. Perfect. Well, Lindsay Hoffman and Colton Boothman with this year's Matsuri Festival, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming to Word, and uh, we appreciate you talking to us a little bit about the art of haiku and, of course, the Matsuri Festival. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can find out more about the Arizona Matsuri virtual version on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. The third annual KJZZ Haiku Writing Contest is underway. A haiku is a short poem made up of 17 syllables and three lines. Submit your haiku that answers, what's new for you during the pandemic? And we might just read it on air. Visit haiku.kjzz.org. KJZZ Spot 127 Youth Media Center is a qualifying charitable tax organization, which means that your contribution is eligible for a dollar-for-dollar credit on your Arizona taxes. Visit taxcredit.spot127.org today and support our award-winning students. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. We're celebrating Nahai Raimo, National Haiku Writing Month. John Levy is a Tucson writer, and he joined me recently to talk about his love for haiku. He actually spent some time in his younger years visiting Japan and eventually wound up living in Kyoto for a time. And I was curious how that journey in his early life began. Well, what happened was the first time I went to Japan was for about seven weeks in 1972 in the summer. And I met with a American poet who had married a Japanese woman, the American poet's name Sid Corman. And I corresponded with him. And when I graduated college or was about to graduate college, he said, hey, I'm opening a coffee shop with my wife in Kyoto. Do you want to come live here for room and board? And I said, yes. That's amazing. Not everybody has an opportunity like that. And how long had you been interested in Japanese culture prior to that? Probably since grade school, because my mother was interested in it, and she took me to a uh, an Asian gift shop in a shopping center in um, Phoenix, and I loved it. I just loved it. I loved the incense. I loved the books. I loved the objects, the Buddha, all of those things. 
sometimes people find these things later in life. I share a little bit of what you're describing there. But specifically haiku, which is a traditional Japanese art form that has evolved, when did your interest in the art of writing haiku or just appreciating haiku come into play? Probably in grade school. I think I bought one of those little books of haiku in that store I mentioned. Uh, I loved the brevity of it, and it was a beautiful little book. I think I bought a couple of those little books. I forget the publisher. Um, but then I got more seriously interested in college. I went to Oberlin College, and there was a professor there, William McNaughton, who was a scholar of Chinese literature and Japanese literature. In fact, he published a translation of mine by a poet in an anthology of Japanese In our correspondence with each other before catching up to talk today, we share some very similar interests. I noticed, for instance, that poets like Allen Ginsberg and Gary Snyder, of course, writers like Jack Kerouac, who was also a novelist, were people that you and I share an interest in. And I'm assuming that that came out of your college experience as well. Yes, I might have been reading Gary Snyder. I can't remember when I started reading him. It was probably in college. I got really interested in poetry in about 10th grade when I happened up upon William Carlos Williams, and that really changed my life. He, uh, he was very inspiring to me. Out of that group of poets that we just named, Gary Snyder is the only one that is still living. He is, of course, a Zen master, Zen priest. I had the pleasure of actually seeing him. Oh, this is many, many years ago. And we were so excited, uh, friends of mine and, and I went, we're so excited that we got there super early into the small room on campus. And, you know, we got in the in the front row and he completes his reading and Mine is the first arm to go up when he says, does anybody have any questions? And I had with me at the time an anthology, and I don't remember the title of the poem, but it's the one where he takes his earring off before he walks into a bar. And I wanted him to read that because that was one of my favorite poems. So that essentially was my question. Would you read this? And he said, nope, I'm done. (laughs) Have you ever met him? And that kind of sense of humor seems like something that is a part of his life. I haven't met him. I heard him read, and then I, as I mentioned to you in an email, I, I went to the island commune uh, off the southern tip of Japan where, where he had been, and, and I, I worked on that commune for, for three weeks, and, and his good friend Sakai uh, was there and told me a lot of great stories about him, a lot of funny stories about him. Yeah, he has a great, Snyder has a great sense of humor. Have you ever tried to pattern anything that you have written personally after things that he have written? I mean, you mentioned he has a good sense of humor. Some people say humor doesn't belong in haiku. Others say, of course it does. How do you feel about that? I haven't written anything that I think was, at least since college, that I think was very Snyder-like. But I do have a poem I'd like to read to you. Sure. That, that, because I do think humor has, has a wonderful part in haiku. And I was reading poems by uh, Vincent Trippi, T-R-I-P-I, last night, thinking about poems I might want to mention. And, and this one, I think, is, shows the value of humor. Inside the ant colony, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> it's, it just it seems so inane, but that's hilarious to me. Yeah, I, I think it's hilarious, too. I, it's wonderful. Any idea how many syllables are in that? 
Not that no, it matters. I didn't count them. Yeah. I didn't count them. And I should mention that, that the excuse me's are hyphenated, so they, ah. they should be read quickly. Right. And separated by commas, but inside the ant county, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> it's just so wonderful. I mean, you're anthropomorphizing ants in the first place, giving them human qualities by suggesting right. that they communicate with language like that. But the busyness of ants, it's, I just can't can't help but laugh. It's, it's still cracking me up. That's beautiful. You have some of your own that you sent me, and I thank you very much for them. I wondered if uh, you would read, I believe it's the third one that you sent to me. Sure. The Wind... Quotes the trees. Now I'll read it another time really quickly. The wind quotes the trees. That's a very Zen mindset to me, a very Zen image. And part of the thing that I love about haiku, well, is that it can be something just so simple as a snapshot. How about another one for us? Sure. My late mother's small rhyming dictionary has no entry for grief. Well, I felt this one very deeply, and obviously it's very personal. For those who don't know, a rhyming dictionary is uh, just that. It's a tool that's used for those maybe who write couplets, sonnets, certainly in other types of verse. Why did you bring that into this poem, that concept of a rhyming dictionary? My late mother, her name was Zoe Weiss-Levy, a marvelous person. She was an artist, and she also loved to write songs for celebrations and for birthdays, and she used this little rhyming dictionary, a pocket rhyming dictionary, little black hardback. And after she passed away, um, and I still think about her daily, she passed away in January of 2009. My father survived her, and I was in in their house in Phoenix, and I, I wanted to keep the little dictionary, and it occurred to me to see what they gave for rhymes for grief. And then I was surprised there wasn't one. And I think that's that was the occasion of writing the poem. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one just off the top of my head. I mean, the first word that popped into my head was leaf. Maybe leaf teeth. Relief? Mm-hmm. I think there are probably lots of them, but this little rhyming dictionary was very selective. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, John Levy, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us briefly about your love for haiku and, and your experience and sharing some of your poems with me. I think sometimes people feel one way or another very certain about haiku. Others are a little bit more liberal in their mindset. Some folks think things have to be deeply contemplative. Others feel like, hey, a snapshot is fine. Here's a, as we used to call them, a Polaroid, but we don't anymore. Could I throw one thing in at the end? Yeah, sure. There's so many wonderful books about uh, haiku, but there's a terrific um, book that, that your listeners may be interested in called Haiku in English, the first hundred years. It's got a marvelous selection of um, different poets who've written haiku in English, including early people like, um, well, Ginsburg, if you want to call him early, but a lot of the practicing um, poets today who are are incredibly gifted and not that well known. And there's a, a fabulous essay by one of the editors, Jim Casian, about haiku and haiku in English. So I'd highly recommend that. It's easy to find because it was published by Norton. Yeah, absolutely. And we will link to that on our own website. John, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and best of luck. Stay well. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You can find out more about John Levy on our website at word.com.
www.kjzz.org. And don't forget to enter KJZZ's third annual haiku writing contest by submitting up to one original haiku per week. You can do so at haiku.kjzz.org. The theme this year, what's new for you during the pandemic? I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks for supporting the literary arts in Arizona and the region. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.